Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? This is an interesting question with which to begin this morning because we have always held or claimed or presumed or asserted that the Bible is reliable. Our faith is built on what is written in the Bible. Our faith is grounded in the truth of the Bible. The Bible, we believe, is not only Scripture and sacred text, but it is also unique among all writings throughout history. It is specifically the Word of God for me and for you and for all people. We have had the audacity to claim that. We use a shorter version of our set of values now than we used for a number of years, but for a number of years, we had a little bit longer set of values that we published, put on our website, stated there were 10 of them, and they still really do represent, we've sort of moved on to these five new, wonderful, uh, more articulate values, but those 10 still represent who we are and our DNA. And so I want to recount those in order uh, for you, or at least the first three. The first one was Jesus Christ as Lord, the second, loving God wholeheartedly. And then the third, interestingly, is really the first and second come out of the third. We put them in that order, but the first and second come out of the third, and the third really is foundational, and it was this. God's Word is foundational. So if you go to our website today, you will find under the heading what we believe, among other things, the following, which has been there for years now. The Bible. We believe that God has revealed the truth about himself in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, which together are a unique, reliable, and authoritative witness and guide in all matters of faith and life. This language echoes the stream of Christianity in which this church has dwelt through its existence, which uh, has been, uh, has declared without reservation over the last several decades, these words in one of our church's creeds. The one sufficient revelation of God in Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ, the Word of God incarnate, to whom the Holy Spirit bears unique and authoritative witness through the Holy Scriptures, which are received and obeyed as the Word of God written. The Scriptures are not a witness among others, but the witness without parallel. The church has received the books of the Old and New Testament as prophetic and apostolic testimony in which it hears the Word of God and by which its faith and obedience are nourished and regulated. I like that. It's been around for 40 years. So I want to be clear about several things. These are the beliefs of this church. However, why do we believe these things? Why? Why do we believe what we believe about the Bible? More succinctly, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible worthy of being held in high regard, the high regard in which we hold it? Is the Bible trustworthy? Is it accurate? Is it truthful? Is it dependable? Is the Bible reliable? And this is the sixth question in our current series, a seven-week series called Explore God, which we have, during which we've considered and will consider these seven questions. Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus God? Today, is the Bible reliable? And next week, finally, can I know God personally? And as we've said before, the purposes of this series are three. 
One, to take seriously and address questions that may be commonly asked or considered both consciously or unconsciously by curious and thoughtful people out there, outside the church, maybe outside of Christendom, who do not think of themselves as Christians or in, in Christ, and maybe are adherents of some other faith. Second, to create some safe space for people in the church to think about these questions, to think openly about them, and to even have conversations about them when they may have stuffed these questions down in the past in their minds and in community, thinking maybe it's not okay to ask these questions here. And then third, to equip people who are in Christ and who believe and trust in Jesus and who are trying to follow him, to equip them and people like them, us, maybe you, to have conversations with friends, neighbors, coworkers, strangers about these sorts of things with the hope that those conversations may lead to a faith that leads to abundance and joy and what the Bible calls salvation. And so with uh, these things in mind, I'm gonna pray one more time. Please pray with me. God, we ask that you would help us in your grace, through your grace, help us to be attentive to you and to be led into all truth, all grace and all truth. Help us to sort things out in our minds and our hearts. Give us a hunger for you and for your truth and your goodness. I pray that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart, they, they would have meaning, that they would have significance, that through them you would plant seeds that will grow. If my words in any way, though, stray, deviate, or are inconsistent with your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So is the Bible reliable? This question seemingly questions, not my question too, the question and the series that's kind of handed to us. The question seemingly questions the reliability of the Bible. It calls into question the reliability of the Bible, which, is, which I think is actually representative of the thinking, consciously or unconsciously, of many people today, if not most people today, out in the world, and many in the church. Certainly in our society, certainly in our culture, certainly in our world. In contrast, here on Sunday mornings in our lives in Christ, we typically start with the Bible. We normally start with the assumption that the Bible is reliable, that it's trustworthy, true, and authoritative. But is it? And it's a fair question to ask. In fact, I think it's a really good question to ask. For those outside the faith, for those struggling with faith, for those inside the faith who may never have given this much thought, it's an important question because so much else, almost everything else, rides on it on our answer to this question. Our entire faith, and for that matter, much of human history and thought is built on and grounded on the idea that the Bible is reliable. But is it? To answer this question, I want to consider some other questions, beginning with what is the Bible first. The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblia, which simply means the books. And what we know is the Bible is a collection, or some people have said a library of books, 66 of them written over the course of thousands of years by as many as 40, maybe more different authors, written in a variety of languages, a variety of cultures, a variety of contexts. It's important that we understand that that's what the Bible is. 
Catholics, uh, in other words, the Catholic Church recognize an additional seven books in their Old Testament. We call that the Apocrypha. They call that the Apocrypha. So their Bible has 73 books. Most of the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language with several parts, uh, parts of Ezra, parts of Daniel, a couple other words and sentences written in the Aramaic language, which was related to Hebrew, an ancient Semitic language, which was more commonly spoken during a period in uh, Israel's history, Jewish history, by most of the people, Aramaic. The New Testament was written originally almost and exclusively in Koine Greek, which is common Greek, the Greek spoken by common people, the bulk of the population, with a handful of words in the New Testament originally written in Aramaic, that same old ancient language that was kind of hanging on. In the 6th century AD, the whole sort of Jewish world got together and said, we need our holy scriptures in the language that most people in the Roman Empire are speaking today, that was Koine Greek. And so for four centuries, from 600s to about 1000 AD, they worked on translating this Herculean project meticulously, word by word, letter by letter by letter, with incredible accuracy, all of their, what we call the Old Testament, into the Greek language. And so, as you might imagine, but may never have thought much about, the Bible as we have it didn't just appear, poof, one day delivered to your front door by Amazon. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in our home, in the living room, on this kind of ornamental desk that no one sat at, was uh, this, sometimes it's out, this gigantic Bible. I mean, gigantic. It was too big for me to pick up as a kid. Huge, and it was open to the middle, maybe Psalms or Isaiah. And it sort of sat there, but no one read it. No one dared to even turn the pages. But it, you know, it was just always there. When I was born, it was there, and it just stayed there, and no one ever touched it. And uh, we sort of had the idea that, like the Bible, maybe it has always existed. And in some way, that's the story of all of us. Bibles for our lives have always existed as they are since we were born, as if they pre-existed. But the Bible has not always existed in its present state. So the next question is, how did we get this Bible? How did it come into being? According to the Bible itself, uh, at first God's communication with humankind was oral. God spoke directly to people such as Adam and Noah and Abraham, but the time came when it was necessary for the divine will to be put into permanent form and that a record of God's revelation be made for succeeding generations. In other words, it was time for God's words and God's purpose to be written in tangible, lasting form uh, to explain and record the things that God had said orally to his people up to that point. The first person mentioned in the Bible as writing anything is Moses, who lived perhaps as early as 1500 BC. In the early books of the Bible, six distinct writings, most in Exodus, one in uh, Numbers, one in Deuteronomy, are specifically and explicitly attributed to Moses. It's thought by Jewish tradition as well, that actually all five of the first books of the Bible were written by Moses. They're called not only the Pentateuch, but the books of Moses. Moses' successor, Joshua, also penned things, put things into writing uh, on hard copy. And that sort of began this tradition where prophets 
and people speaking for God and historians also began to write things down until there's this collection of what came to be understood as God's inspired words written down on uh, papyrus, written down on leather, originally, first of all, carved into stone, right? Those uh, are the early days of how we got our, uh, at least our Old Testament. And that came to an end in about the year 400 BC during the time of Ezra. And that was the last time that anything was written down that's included in what we call our Old Testament. And it was kind of the end of the Jewish scriptures. The renowned Jewish historian Josephus later wrote that no book was added to the Hebrew scriptures after that time uh, of the prophet Malachi who lived approximately 400 years before Jesus, the Old Testament. And pretty much the form, we still have it today. The New Testament comes together in a kind of similar but different way and over a much shorter period of time, written over the course of probably less than 50 years. And as soon as maybe even 10 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, parts of it were beginning to be written. The various documents uh, of what we, came, what we came to call the New Testament began to be copied and copied and copied and copied copied very quickly, beginning with the letters of Paul, and then the Gospels, and then some other letters, and then finally, the book of Revelation. These were written and circulating in the early church throughout the first century, when uh, most of the writing was still being done on papyrus and in, forms of, in the form of scrolls, with uh, uh, parchment coming along later. So papyrus, typically, like leather, was put in the form of these scrolls, and they were rolled out to as long as about 30, 35 feet. And then it became quite cumbersome, which is why scholars think the books of Matthew and Luke and Acts are as long as they are, but not any longer. And why Luke-Acts is divided up into two books instead of what scrolls just couldn't take anymore. And this is the way things were write, written, and it was cumbersome and hard to move around and didn't last a long time, the, uh, the parchment would eventually crumble and deteriorate. Then along comes parchment and new forms of writing. Uh, in the second, third, fourth century, things begin to be, and that's the beginning of the book, when parchment is stacked and bound together. And really, books historically began within Christendom as uh, the early church was so eager to copy and copy and distribute and distribute. So all of this came together over 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years. This is how we kind of got our New Testament, which was tacked on to the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. There was this whole process of trying to decide which books make it into what's called the canon, from a Greek word, canon, uh, and which books don't. And there were literally dozens of books circulating, but only two or three or four were really considered possibly uh, legitimate, but left out. Uh, as early as 95, the year 95, a guy named uh, the Bishop, of, Bishop Clement, I think of Rome, wrote a letter that uh, they wanted to be included in the Scriptures, and he said, no, no, no. Uh, don't include it in the Scriptures. Uh, the things that Paul wrote and others wrote before what I wrote have much more veracity. Don't include mine. And so from that, we get the, uh, the belief that all of Scripture 
that became Scripture was done and written by the year 95. Now, some people say that uh, the New Testament was written long ago. How do we know what the original authors wrote down hasn't been changed over the years? We live in the age of the conspiracy theory. The answer is that we do know very accurately what the New Testament wrote through the field of study or science known as textual criticism. In a nutshell, according to the field of textual criticism, the shorter the time span between the date the manuscript was written and the earliest available or surviving or existing copies, the more reliable that document it is. The shorter the time span between the date the manuscript was written and the earliest available copy, the more text we have, and the higher the quality of the existing text, the less doubt and greater certainty there is about the original. Again, Harper and Rowe just didn't publish the Bible one day. It came into being over centuries. The late uh, Dr. F.F. F. Bruce, who is the Reynolds uh, Rylands Professor of Biblical Criticism at the University of Manchester, shows in his little book, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? That looks like this, and I'm happy to loan it to you. How wealthy the New Testament is in manuscript attestation by comparing its text with other historical works the table of this I've put together and put up on the screen. Follow along. I know it's going to feel for a moment like you're back in college, if it doesn't already. Almost all that is known of Herodotus and his written book histories, or writings histories, is from eight manuscripts from approximately the approximate year 900 AD, which was approximately 1,300 years after Herodotus seemingly wrote his histories sometime in the 400, 400s BC. Almost the exact same is true for Herodotus' contemporary Thucydides. You say that. Next is Caesar's Gallic Wars, which was, in the, which was written in the 50s BC. The earliest extant or existing surviving manuscripts of that work, and there are only nine or ten of them, are also approximately from 900 AD, which is 950 years after the originals, more or less. We have no more than 20 early copies of the history of Rome by Titus Livius, simply in Livy in English, also from around the year 900, which was approximately 900 years after Livy lived and wrote. Of the 14 books of Tacitus' histories, only 20 copies survive. Of the surviving 16 books of his annals, 10 portions of his two great historical works depend entirely on two manuscripts, one from the 9th century and one from the 11th century. And yet no classical scholar doubts the authenticity of these works in spite of the large time gaps and the relatively small number of early existing manuscripts. In contrast, the New Testament for which we have a great, uh, is the, in contrast, is the New Testament for which we have a great abundance or plethora of manuscripts and material. The New Testament was written uh, roughly between the ages of 40, the years 45 and 95 AD. Today we have excellent full manuscripts, again, collections of these 27 books for the entire New Testament as early as 350 AD, which seems like a long time to us, but when you look at things historically, is a very short time. 
We have papyri containing most of the New Testament writings dating from the 200s, and even a fragment of John's Gospel, which scientists have carbon dated to around 125 AD. Facts. There are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, over 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and over 9,300 other manuscripts, together with more than 36,000 sightings and the writings of the early church fathers of the New Testament documents, those 27 books. Dr. Bruce summarizes the above evidence by quoting Sir Frederick Kenyon, a leading scholar in this area, who wrote, the internal the interval then between the dates of original composition and the earliest existing evidence becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible, and the last foundation for any doubt that the Scriptures have comes down to us substantially, substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. As Dr. Bruce himself wrote, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, however, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond doubt. Beyond doubt. There's never been a more scrutinized book in human history. There has never been a more scrutinized book in human history. Fact. All said, the authenticity of the Bible is well attested. There are many available copies. The copies date back to close to the original date of authorship. The copies compare well with one another. Why didn't do, do people dismiss the authenticity of the Bible? For one, those who have not looked into the matter assume the copying process was like the game that we all played as children called telephone in which one person whispers a sentence or two into someone else's ear, and that person then whispers it to another person. By the time the word makes it around the room or the words or the sentence, the original words are often completely lost. But the Bible's copying process was fundamentally different than the telephone game in every way. Rather than it, rather than it being spoken or whispered, it was written by trained and meticulous scribes who had priests and rabbis looking over their shoulders at every moment, sometimes punishments being meted out for the smallest of mistakes. Moreover, those scribes had at their disposal not just the ninth person in the series of ten, but the third and sometimes the second and sometimes the first. It would be like in telephone game going, uh, you being the tenth person, instead of only hearing from the ninth, you could say, hold on a second, I want to go back to number three or number two. In addition to the authenticity of the New Testament and its integrity, there's the question of whether or not the Bible is accurate. Is the Bible reliable in its accuracy? There's much in the Bible that's poetry and story and teaching about morals and ethics and ways of life, but there is also much in the Bible about history. And sort of the Bible history isn't sort of over on a shelf in the realm of mythology or legend or in the fiction section of the library. Rather, uh, as we look through history and all of the non-Jewish, non-Christian sources, over and over and over in history, 
we find references to things that are also in the Bible attesting to the fact that the Bible is also a historical and a historically reliable and accurate document. References to Abraham are found in ancient Egyptian inscriptions. Not only Abraham, but Moses and David and King Hezekiah and as many as 30 other kings, scribes, and servants mentioned in the Bible. There's the field of archaeology as well, which is science, which is an ongoing thing today in the Middle East and in Israel and all over that part of the world. Archaeologists continue to dig carefully in new places and deeper in old places and continue to find things that generally affirm what the Bible has said for thousands of years, often confirming things that skeptics for decades have said couldn't possibly be true. The Old Testament Scriptures, as a body, were also thought to, well, we don't have any late copies of those. These same issues that we have with the New Testament, who wrote them, when were they written, we don't have any really old copies. It's just fragments of things. In 1947, a Jewish or Palestinian boy, I can't remember which, was uh, tending his shepherds as the story goes. It started to rain. He's down by the Dead Sea in that area. He heads for the caves where he can shelter for a little while from the weather and there accidentally discovers a scroll in a pot and then another scroll and another scroll. And and he doesn't think a lot about it uh, any more than a 12-year-old would think until he takes it back and everyone goes, where did you find this? And he takes them to the place and over the course of the next few years, And these things are still being unpacked and processed. More than 80 scrolls in immaculate condition were discovered that showed that the Old Testament, as we have it today, but don't have any ancient copies, actually was as it said it was. That it actually existed in its ancient form as it existed. All questions were sort of put aside. People wondered, well, was Isaiah really that old? Yeah, because there it is in the whole entire Old Testament canon, right there with it. Archaeology, which is science, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we could go on and on. In addition, did you know that there are numerous outside the Bible sources that also corroborate the New Testament account of the life of Jesus? For example, there are seven non-Christian writers who mention Jesus in the hundred years following his death, as well as two additional sources that mention him shortly thereafter. The sources are Thallus, Tacitus, Flavius, Josephus, Marian, Barsarpion, Phlegon, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Lucian, and Celsus. Collectively, they corroborate the following important details about the life of Jesus. Again, non-Christian sources outside of the Bible, independent, a different stream. 
They corroborate that Jesus lived during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Jesus spent time in Judea, Galilee, and Egypt. Jesus possessed unusual powers. Jesus had a brother named James. Jesus was wise and influential and taught some high moral code. He was called Messiah. He could accurately predict the future. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, on the evening of the Passover, the day Jesus was crucified became dark and an earthquake shook at, at his death. His disciples spoke of resurrection. All of that attested in the years after Jesus by non-Christian sources. In addition, some will point you to all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from the Old Testament affirming the veracity both of the Old Testament and the New. C.S. Lewis talks about if the Bible had all been made up, if it was fiction, if any parts of it were fiction, there are a lot of parts that no one would write the way they're written because they aren't the most persuasive in some ways. And if it was all fiction, people just wouldn't put it. It doesn't make sense. For example that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John point to women as being first to the tomb and the first eyewitnesses. In the first century, women didn't have uh, the respect of being uh, valued eyewitnesses. If the gospel writers and the early gospel tradition were making those things up, they never would have written in women as the first eyewitnesses. And this is just one such case. So others have said, well, you know, uh, I read the Gospels and they just ring true. Fair enough. For some people, that's true, and that is evidence or proof of the reliability of the Scriptures. I, I'm, not, I'm not really wanting to go there this morning. Similarly, people refer to, well, look, uh, Psalm 119 in all of its length, longest chapter in the Bible, says in a hundred different ways, this is God's Word, this is God's written Word, these are God's mandates, this is God. All Fair enough. But if I testify to myself and say, you can believe me because I say you can believe me, it doesn't carry quite as much weight. And so this morning, I wanted to focus on what outside sources and scholarship and science say to affirm the reliability and the veracity of the Scriptures. Some people say, but there are so many translations of the Bible. How can I know that they are all true or which one is true? And that is a good question. But it shouldn't call into question one's uh, confidence in the reliability of the Bible. In 1611, when the King James Version of the Bible was written, they did the best they could with the Greek manuscripts that they had at the time. But over the last 400 years, Greek scholarship has exploded, as have the number of ancient existing manuscripts that we have from not only the Old Testament, Dead Sea Scrolls, but also the New Testament. And so as scholars around the world have worked and learned and refined and gotten access to new and older and more reliable manuscripts, they've refined the King James Version, and brought it into a language that most people can understand. Languages change over time. Anyone here just speak regular King James at home? No. Just to the kids when you're angry. 
Why it doeth thou, Ben? There are so many interpretations of the Bible. How can I know which ones are true? Some people interpret the Bible this way, we think, and other people interpret the Bible that way. The Bible must not be reliable. But I would ask you to consider this. As Americans in the 21st century, think about the U.S. Constitution and the way that court cases and attorneys and lawyers and judges have debated for 200-plus years about how to inter— and still today, very much, you pick your issue. How do we interpret what the Constitution says about this issue or that issue? But does any of that negate the reliability or the veracity of the U.S. Constitution? Absolutely not. There are sort of different ways of interpreting the Bible at different points. For example, communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist. The Catholic folks, our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, focus on Jesus' words, this is my body. Those are Jesus' words. This is my, this is my blood. They focused, the Protestants have focused on a little bit more Jesus' also words, do this in remembrance of me. Different interpretations that lead, not so much, but different foci or emphases. The Bible is uh, not an owner's manual. Uh, the Bible is a collection of 66 books that come in many different genres. And so you would read one genre of writing one way and another genre another way. If you've got cartoons or comics from the Sunday newspaper, you're going to read those one. If you've got a love letter from your husband, you're going to read it a different If you've got an owner's manual for your refrigerator, you're going to read that a different way. And there are a variety of genres, some of which are, should I take the Bible literally or should I take the Bible metaphorically or figuratively? And the answer is yes, depending on the genre and the context. And so it's not that there are so many different interpretations. There are lots of different kinds of genres in the Bible. That doesn't make the Bible not reliable. When Jesus says to his disciples, if your, hand, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, was he being literal? Well, did any of Jesus' disciples not have a right hand? No. Clearly, he wasn't being literal. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Was he being metaphorical? No. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Was Jesus being metaphorical? No. Are there a variety of interpretations about how to love one's enemy? No. It's just that nobody wants to do it because it's hard. But that doesn't call into question the reliability of the Bible. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Every one of us has some words. Uh, we have a, uh, a set of words or beliefs or ideas that usually end up as words for us or that come to us as words or things that we hold to be true. A set of beliefs, a worldview, a perspective, whether we know it or not, whether we've articulated it or not, whether we can put our finger on it or not. 
the tens of thousands of words that make up the Old and New Testaments, what we call the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God, I believe are reliable and trustworthy and true and worthy of me putting my full weight into. Peter, in the book of John, in chapter 6, says to Jesus, to whom else should we go? Who else can we go for words of eternal life? It's a very poignant question. His answer, Jesus' answer, Peter's answer to his own question was no one. And that's the answer that I've arrived at for myself as well years ago and still today. No one and nowhere. To whom else can you go for words of eternal… You may get a bit of truth from here or a bit of truth from there and a bit of truth from there, but as a whole, to whom and where can you go for words of eternal life? I'm inclined to go with Jesus who gave his life for all of us, that we might have life, even eternal life in his name. Someone else who was preaching this message might have started with Paul's words in his second letter to Timothy, often quoted on this subject. But I didn't want to start there because I think it's just in some ways testifying to one's own veracity, as if saying, you can trust me because I am me. But now at the end, I'm going to read Paul's words nevertheless, because I do think they have substance. Paul wrote, and I don't think that Paul was thinking when he was writing a letter to his young co-worker in the faith, Timothy, that he was writing Scripture. But what he writes later is included by the hundreds and hundreds of uh, global ecumenical church leaders who, through years of discernment and process, who meticulously are interested in the truth, include this letter from Paul in what they call Scripture Word of God. Here's what Paul wrote, and I believe it is true. All Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, the word is literally God-breathed. Thea, theos, and pneuma, the verb pneuma for breathed, or spirited, or exhaled. All Scripture is exhaled by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is, I trust it, I hope you do too, but if you don't, I encourage you to at least take seriously the question of, is the Bible reliable? And dig into it for yourself. It can change your life. I want to say one more thing. The Bible is the hardest book on the planet to read because it was written over the course of 1,500 years by all these different authors in all these different languages in all these different contexts in all these different cultures. And it's a library, and we don't know how to read those things. Begin somewhere, maybe in one of the Gospels. Find a, a rhythm and a pattern and a plan and read and read with others and get help 
We live in the 21st century. There are innumerable resources, even if you're starting at ground zero. Ask for help. If you don't have a study Bible, I strongly encourage you to get one of those as well today. The church will give you one if you want one, if you'll read it, and dive into God's Word. His Word is truth. His Word is life. His Word is reliable. Let's pray. Thank you for your words in your Word, written Word, representing your Son, the living Word and Lagos, Jesus. May we be reminded of the words in Deuteronomy that Jesus quoted in the wilderness during that really hard season when he was doing battle with the devil. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Feed us, nourish us, sustain us, and grow us through your words, through your word, through your written, written word, through the Bible. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.